it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. And this week, I speak with Mark Hubbard, campaign manager with equity crowdfunding firm On Market. Long-time listeners may recall I spoke with Mark way back in 2016, not long after he founded Blizzard Brewery in Victoria's high country. Blizzard has unfortunately since closed, but Mark is still of the industry, now working with On Market as a brewery crowdfunding specialist. Mark is also a podcast listener and has on occasions heard my thoughts about equity crowdfunding and has reached out a number of times to discuss them, very frankly. On this occasion, Mark has very generously agreed to have a chat on mic for the podcast for your benefit. I say generously because as a listener, you all know that I've expressed some thoughts about how the wonderful potential of equity crowdfunding hasn't always delivered on its promise and its promises, and especially my concerns about the powerlessness that many investors have felt about the lack of recourse when the reality hasn't met that promise. Well, in this episode, I get to discuss all of that and more and address some of my frustrations about the process. And when I say address my frustrations, I'll leave it to you to decide whether vent may be a little bit more appropriate. But my frustrations and doubts were certainly aired, and I hope fairly expressed. And I have to thank Mark for engaging with those questions and doubts with patience and very good humour, even for the considerable period after we finished recording that we continued to talk about it. As he said to me afterwards, having heard me on previous podcasts, he certainly was not ambushed by the questions. But also, as Mark said, the conversation was important to foster understanding. And there was quite a bit of that on both sides, even if our views about how well regulated the system is may still differ. It was a great chat, and I hope that whichever side of the discussion you come down on, you agree it was robust, but in very good spirit. And this is me and Mark Hubbard discussing equity crowdfunding. Mark Hubbard, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's nice to be here. I should say welcome back. Uh, again, we, we've been having a bit of a run of repeat guests, but this one is a very different. Uh, it's not where are they now, or I guess it is, because you're no longer in the brewing industry, which is where you were last time we spoke. That's right. I was uh, running and uh, founding and starting the uh, highest brewery in Australia, Blizzard Brewing, last time we spoke. That was in 2016 when we opened. Since then, I've uh, sold the brewery and moved on to the next phase of my life, which includes wanting to be in the sector in some, some regard. So I'm actually working with On Market, who is a financial intermediary, to uh, raise funds for the uh, brewing sector. Remind us uh, a little bit about your background before you got into uh, the, the, the brewing industry, um, you know, because 2016, amazingly, uh, was quite a while ago. Yes, yes. Uh, before that, I, I was in the corporate sector, and most recently, I was the uh, finance director and company secretary of a listed IT services company. It was a very acquisitive company, and we aggregated and consolidated the IT services market to uh, bring an ASX 200 listed uh, uh, IT services company, Australia's largest. And we had uh, close to a billion dollars of turnover when we finished there, and we raised about $165 million 
to uh, buy up the market and, and create the company. Just remind listeners, uh, I always encourage everyone to go back and listen because it gives a bit of perspective, but what led you to uh, open a brewery when you did? Uh, I, I think I'd done my dash. We'd, we'd achieved pretty much what we set out to do after 13 years in that company and about uh, 35 years in the corporate sector for me. So it was time to chase my own dreams. And as Marco Pierre White once said, if you have a dream, you have a, an obligation and a duty to uh, pursue that dream and make it come true. Because if you don't, you're just a dreamer. So it was the right time for me to uh, chase that dream and, and go up to the ski area and open a brewery in a ski area coming from Colorado. Um, there's obviously lots of breweries in ski areas. There wasn't anyone in Australia, and I thought it was time um, that, that that happened. And who better than me to chase my dream and, and do that, bring a Rocky Mountain experience to Australia. And, and you did that in uh, 2016, as you said, but by 2019, uh, you were looking, I think you put uh, Blizzard on the market. Just remind everyone why that was. Yeah, I put it on the market because I wasn't really living my purpose at that point in time. Um, it, it's difficult on top of a mountain in terms of getting the staff that you need and, and all those things. And uh I had to do everything, literally from scrub the toilet to do all the sales calls, the deliveries, pour the beers, canning, uh, minding the uh, cellar vessels, uh, everything. And it was rewarding. Don't get me wrong, it was very rewarding. And and I scratched the itch. I, I, I went out and I created something out of my head. Um, but that wasn't the way I wanted to run my life. And I had other things to do in my life. So um, with the bushfires and, and COVID, I mean, I'd, I'd made up my mind beforehand, but that really cemented it for me. It was time to go on to the next phase of my life. Trust me, uh, I hear exactly what you uh, – well, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down about having to do everything – or not – I don't have to do everything <laughs> myself, but certainly uh, be multi-functional uh, you know, multi, uh, um, in, in, in uh, what I do. Um, so so you, I, you did list it um, in March 2019 um, – it didn't sell immediately, and I, I think you sold it towards the end of 2020, which was very much, uh, you know, COVID was certainly upon us, um, and and uh, we were very much facing still lockdowns on, on occasion. In fact, uh, my buyer flew up in an airplane to Hotham Airport in December 2019, just before the bushfires arrived. And uh, we got through all the, the bushfires and the close down from that. And we had a long protracted negotiation and due diligence period and so forth. And, and ultimately, we settled in uh, the end of November 2020. And um, so that was the, the first phase of shutdowns. We're just finishing in the second phase. We're just about starting. Yeah, and, uh, and it went on and on and on and on. Um, I just something. This is something I should have checked beforehand. Is Blizzard still going? I just no. Unfortunately, the the buyer um, they weren't able to implement their business model. They had other uh, synergistic businesses that they were going to fold Blizzard into in the event they had to sell those businesses. Um, so unfortunately, um, after the the, the lockdowns uh, finished, Blizzard never reopened, and. Uh, yeah, so they never brewed and so forth. As far as I know, they still have all the gear and storage somewhere, and they obviously have the brand and, and so forth, but uh, Blizzard hasn't operated uh, since I sold it. 
There you go again, because we are talking equity crowdfunding today, and I, I had said, I, I'd been sort of catching up on all of my uh, notes about that. I hadn't actually gone back uh, into the history of the brewery. So uh, yeah, but so so you, I mean, God, I can't believe it's three years ago, um, almost three years ago since the business sold, um, and now you're working for On Market as a campaign, uh, a, a freelance com- uh, campaign manager for their equity crowdfunding business, which is what we want to talk about. What have you been doing in in, in the interim? Uh, retired. <laughs> retired. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was one of the things that was next on my list. And uh, so my wife and I moved down to the Mornington Peninsula and uh, having a lovely lifestyle down here, play a lot of golf, cycle, the beach, the wineries, the breweries, everything that there is to offer down here. But uh, always knew I needed something to keep my intellect going and, uh, you know, stimulate the gray matter. And I, I found I really did miss the brewing industry. You know, there's so, so many great characters in there. It's such a collaborative industry and supportive industry to work in. And um, so the crowdfunding thing had been on my radar from when I was actually in the sector. And I took my skill set to on market and said, you know, look, this is what I've done in the corporate sector. And uh, this is what I've done in the brewing sector. Can I help you all? And we'll, we'll raise funds in the brewing sector. And they said, yeah, come aboard. And um, so I've been uh, doing my best through my networks and expanding my networks to uh, help founders fund their ambition by raising capital to do so. And uh, that's what I think we might uh, roll into now, because uh, again, you you reached out to me. You've heard some of my um, <laughs> questions uh, about equity crowdfunding, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I like to say I'm certainly not against it, because any equity, you know, any way that brewers can get equity into their business um, is certainly uh, legitimate. Um, but certainly you've uh, reached out to, you know, raise uh, uh, or, or to, to discuss some of the views of us about. So uh, as always, it's, it's it's best done as part of a conversation that the rest of the industry can hear. So uh, I, I, I guess, again, I, I, as I say to a lot of guests, you know, I tend to ask questions in the form of a statement. So feel free to challenge any of that uh, if, if, if you disagree with any of that no worries (laughs) maybe we can start by um you know what is equity crowdfunding um you know at least in on markets uh you know definition Uh, equity crowdfunding allows small businesses to access retail investors through a, a regime that is regulated but is less restrictive than an initial public offering on listing shares on a stock market or a stock exchange so it's fairly revolutionary in terms of um, allowing a crowd to invest in a small business and uh, help uh, that business to grow and get in in early stage investment, early stage growth companies and so forth. So it's fairly revolutionary in terms of that. And I think the the internet and social media play a part in that as well because it's it's a different from the, the traditional IPO that you'd get from your stockbroker, you'd get a prospectus from your stockbroker and you'd look at that and be mostly professional investors looking to invest in these kinds of companies. Um, now the crowd in, in, in the brewing uh, world specifically, their customers, um, their advocates, the people that have a connection to the brewery can actually support that brewery be, be, by becoming a shareholder. So it's really powerful in that regard, and and it works well in the brewing industry because it's a simple product to understand, and they have a broad reach in terms of their consumers and people that uh, have an affinity for them. Again, yeah, there are a few things there that um, you know I, I don't 
strictly disagree with, but, you know, uh, revolutionary is a fairly strong word. It's certainly a, uh, a, a lessening of restrictions um, that... But ownership in a business isn't really revolutionary. Um, you know, allowing people to invest or buy into a business um, you know, that they've been able to do it in various other ways. But this is just a less costly way for businesses to take on investors. It's costly, but it's a way to access investors in in bulk. Um, You'd always be able to talk to a private investor or any individual or group of individuals to to uh, invest in a company, but there are always restrictions on the number of shareholders you could have and the amount you can raise. And while there's still some restrictions in that regard in crowdsource funding, it really is about reaching out to the masses and having a real opportunity for retail investors, uh, ordinary people, not just uh, sophisticated investors or, or those that are are making you know investment decisions regularly to invest in a brewery. So that that's like the revolutionary part. I agree with you. You know, obviously, company ownership, share ownership has been a thing forever. But uh, being able to raise front funds from such a broad spectrum of retail investors for being such a small business um, and having a, a regulatory environment that allows that to, to do, to, to be able to do that without a huge cost imposition uh, like uh, there is in IPOs and so forth is is the part that's really been great for for this situation a hundred percent and and you know but again it's it, it's at less cost for the businesses in terms of all of the process that they have to go through before the offer but then you know and we'll come back to this later in the chat i'm sure there's a bit of a cost in terms of it's also a very different investment uh that those who buy into the business have, for example, it's a very illiquid business, whereas most IPOs uh, don't have that constraint. But as I said, we'll, we'll, we'll come come back to that. Okay. Um, the, but the thing that I wanted to, and, and again, if, if you disagree with that, please come, you know, please uh, correct me. Um, but the other thing you said um, in in explaining what equity crowdfunding is, you described it as a way that. People who support a brewery can support and, you know, assist a brewery um, by buying into it. Um, you know, a, a very real way that business that people can support a business that they like is purchasing their product. Um, but then also, there were mechanisms that businesses that people who liked a business could, you know meaningfully support the business through you know GoFundMe style campaigns that weren't billed as an investment. What makes equity crowdfunding you know different from those uh, types of you know assistance from just buying a product um, or you know donating money to see a business uh, you know fulfill its goals? You become a shareholder in, in this regard in the crowdsource equity funding you become a shareholder as an investor. So you stand by the founder and, and the the ownership group um, in equal in terms of this this size of the parcel that you hold um, as an as a shareholder and owner of the company, and and that in itself is you know so there's something tangible um, for your investment and there's also something um, emotional for your investment because as a part owner of the company you can follow that company and you can introduce your friends to it you can see it on the shelves of the bottle shop and say I own a part of that company. And um, take pride in, in that. Take pride in following the, the brewery and, and, and its growth and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, in a in a, um, a GoFundMe, 
you're making a donation out of the kindness of your heart, your charity. This isn't charity. You, you, you own a, a piece of paper that says you're an owner of the company and this is how many shares you own. And that's, I, I guess that's one of the, the areas I'm a little bit cynical, having seen the way that a number of crowdfundings have operated. What is the value of that share certificate uh, in, in, in a meaningful way over just, you know, what, what, what benefits apart from just feeling like a nominal owner of a business that you invest in through equity crowdfunding, what benefits does that confer on me as somebody who buys, you know, $500 worth of shares? Uh, many breweries will do investor rewards. So you could get discount off the product um, from the brewery, even get invited to brew days in the uh, brewery itself, those kinds of things. So there's some ancillary benefits like that that are offered. But, um, you know, still the, the big benefit is that, if the if the business sells to one of the big boys, you get uh, your share of of that sale. Um, if the business is profitable and and um, repatriates its its earnings through dividends, you're in line for dividends as well. So the founder of the company, as I said, the the ownership group has the same rights and and uh, everything as as a, a crowdsource funder investor would have in terms of the share ownership that they have. This is where we're starting to get to the points that. You know, in in theory, those things you know, the the getting a return are true, but these invest you know the the they're sold as an investment, and I don't think I've seen a, a, a prospectus that hasn't talked about X brewery sold for for this, Y brewery sold for that. The market is growing at X percent a year and holding out this promise uh, of you know potential dividends. Uh, down the road, um, uh, you know, I, I am very conscious of how cynical I sound, but I don't know that many, if any, of the breweries that uh, crowdsource fund are likely to be taken over because of their size um, and, and even the scale that they're growing at are likely to be taken over in a way that would give that you know, promise return. Those offer documents as well. And I must say, I, I think I've seen more that don't say that than do. But, um, you know, it, it has happened, but you're right. It, it is, it's the exception. It's not the uh, the standard. And you have to be a fairly large brewery to to capture the attention of the, uh, the multinational brewers in the first place. And uh, not all brewers are going to get there. Not all brewers have the ambition to do that. So why hold it out as a possibility if uh, if, if I don't think it doesn't... should be no I don't think you should if if the if the uh, owner of the of the business and the management team of the business have a certain objective that they have as an owners group and they want to bring other owners into that um, they should say what that is you know if, if we want to be the best brewery in in our region and dominate that area and this is what we need the capital for to make a capital investment to get there that's what they should say. They shouldn't say, I'm going to entice Lion into buying me, um, and this is the multiples that they've traded on when that's happened, and this is what can happen to your shares. And, and, and I have to say, I haven't seen that in offer documents where people haven't had that ambition. And certainly that's what we would uh, um, counsel to our customers. Your offer document has to be factual, and it has to, to be honest, and it has to be transparent. 
and you don't say, um, I expect I'm going to get this kind of multiple for my earnings in five years time when I sell the lion, when that's not what my, my management plan is. That's not what my business plan is. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, there's one thing to talk about what's happening in the industry in terms of how it grows and what the trends are. And there's another thing to say, this is what we're doing with your money. And this is what we're planning to do in our business. So don't get those two mixed up either. But I mean, and, and this is very hard to verify. This is a, you know, a little bit hearsay, but having spoken to the people in major breweries that look at purchases, um, you know, and, and breweries purchase, and you know, most of them cast a ruler over any of the ones that are growing. But the thing that I hear is that the businesses at Equity Crowdfund automatically become less attractive um, to them as a purchasing target because of the, the ownership um, structure. Why? Because they have more shares to accept and so forth? I, I, I think it makes the ownership messy. It makes the negotiation messy um, for, for purchasing. There's the need for drag-along clauses that, you know, confidentiality is hard. Um, and sometimes even just because the businesses that, you know, and again, this is one where I'm sure you will want to correct me, but that the businesses that look to equity crowdfunding do as a last resort because they can't get funding elsewhere, which makes them look less attractive. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll address that first and foremost. <laughs> I thought you I'll, might. Yeah, no, all the people that I'm speaking with are crowdfunding because they have growth opportunities in front of them. And it is a capital investment that's needed them for them to take advantage of those opportunities. And in this market, especially, um, crowdfunding is much more attractive than, than debt, if the debt's even available. So to make capital investment, to grow the business, to take advantage of growth opportunities that are existing, and to continue on a, a growth uh, trajectory, uh, crowdfunding is, is uh, very advantageous. And as I say, the people I've been speaking with are, are in that camp. Um, I, if, if you were inviting investors into a business that is a last resort and you're not telling people that it's a last resort, I, I think that's disingenuous. And I don't think an offer document you know, should go out on that basis that doesn't uh, say that. Um, so I, I, I can't think of any instance where, I mean, certainly some, some businesses have fallen on hard times after they've, they've uh, crowdfunded. Um, I think those are probably from other, re other reasons. I don't know a whole lot about those businesses other than what is in the public domain. And, and yeah, I certainly don't want to cast aspersions on any um, you know particular breweries, but it's just. But I wasn't saying that the businesses were failing, um, but you know, if depending on your credit history, you know, banks have certainly tightened their uh, their, their lending at the moment, um, and you know. It, it, it's much harder to, to, to raise capital. And I, I guess I was meaning that equity crowdfunding is a lender of last capital, of, of last um, resort. Oh, the, as the, last to source, a, the last source of capital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And rather than businesses that are on their last legs, I would certainly never want to uh, insinuate that about any business that does it. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, sometimes to get 
debt funding, you require an adequate capital base in the first place. And mm-hmm. if the founders don't have that, debt funding's not available to you. Um, when I was with Blizzard, I never had any third-party debt whatsoever. And, um, and I tried to. <laughs> I tried <laughs> and, to. And it is hard, and it, which, which incidentally is also the beauty of equity crowdfunding, you know, and, and that's why, yeah. you know, small businesses accessing um, capital from well-informed potential owners um, that are then treated well is, you know, <laughs> that's why I put those riders on because I think it's a, a very legitimate um, source, but it's the way that sometimes it's implemented that I think, uh, it, but, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. I just wanted to go back. So, you know, I, I think we disagree about the prospect, the sale prospects of um, some of the businesses in terms of, you know, investment grade um, purchases. Um, but even getting dividends, I mean, to me, you know, a, a lot of the offer documents that I've seen said that we, you know, dividends aren't likely because we're, we're investing back in the business, which makes sense when you're looking for investment. I mean, what are the meaningful likelihoods of cash dividends as opposed to, you know, discounts or, as you said, discounts or attending a brew day or some of those, is it fair to say, warm and fuzzy benefits of um, uh, being part of a business? I go back to um, why the founders and the original owners would start their business. Um, and it's going to be a combination of, of financial factors and emotional factors, by and large. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I know many brewery owners or founders that started their business by saying, if I put my money here, I'm going to get the best compound annual growth rate of any other investment <laughs> I can think of. You know, I'm, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to double my money in, in a certain time frame. I'm, I'm going to be able to take this much cash out of the business in this period of time. I mean, those are pure hard investment decisions. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's a place in this industry for me. I have a vision that I want to get to. Um, I have a contribution to make to this sector. There's a lot of that in, in that decision. So when a, a, a crowdsourced share, shareholder goes into it, they can make those same kind of decisions. Mm. They can say, well, if dividends are at the top of my mind and I need to double my money in five years, well, maybe not. that's not the investment for me. But if I want to help this brewery get to be the, the biggest regional brewery in this area and, and brew these styles and these, these types of products, which I really enjoy and really have a, um, a space in the industry, and um, I'll go along with that. And, and maybe sometimes in, in those um, decision-making uh times that the investor will say, well, you know, if I put $500 in and go, maybe I'll double that money, maybe I'll get a return on that money in dividends over time, or maybe I'll never see it again. But in the meantime, I can probably have a good time. I talked to a, a good friend of mine that's a, a, a very active investor, has been for years, and, and uh, I was surprised that he'd actually participated in crowdsource fundings for breweries. And I said, well, why? He said, it's the same reason I invest in racehorse syndicates. Because I love being along for it. Are race horse syndicates regulated by ASIC, though? Don't think so. I don't know. Again, yeah. I don't know. But you know, did I they, don't know either. And, <laughs> and, and, and again, like, I, funnily enough, the, the, the reason I ask is because, funnily enough, that's the way a number of people in the industry and also the investment industry have compared 
equity crowdfunding, that it is like buying a racehorse. You know you're never going to see a return, but you're going to have fun. The difference, I would say, is racehorses are much more transparent about that. And actually, you know, <laughs> gambling uh, gambling warnings uh, on, on uh, the, the gambling warnings on television double underline that that this is for fun. So, is that really the way that we want to compare a business investment? Well, I, I wouldn't think that you'd go into a racehorse syndicate and buy a horse that you thought would never have a chance to win. That would be a real nag. I think you'd go into it and think, well, I think this horse could win. I, I back the trainer. Um, I back, uh, you know, where the, the, the plan they have to, to train the horse and, and uh, bring it into the races. And maybe the horse will win and maybe you, you'll get a return from that. The syndicates are different too because you share in their expenses. Obviously, as a shareholder, you don't. You back mm -hmm. the management to bring you um, a return from the investment you put into the, the, the capital of the business. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know what kind of information a racehorse syndicate owner gets from financial information from, from the trainers, but, you know, certainly it's required that uh, um, the businesses that have undertaken the crowdsource funding campaign need to publish their results to their shareholders once a year. <laughs> well, okay, well, um, mm -hmm. we'll definitely come to that. Yeah. To describe the process, you know, the, the, the process, a business comes to you, they ask, presumably, about what, you know, learn, learn what the process is. Once a business comes to you, what is the process for getting to the open, you know, the, the open office stage? We go through due diligence and make sure that there's compliance with ASIC's um, re uh, regulatory requirements through the early part of, of, of doing all that. Once we've, Which we've are a fairly low bar, really. Well, it's you know there 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 are checks on the directors and so forth, and and um, looking at the capital structure of the business, the shareholders, the existing shareholders, the the debt and the business, those kinds of things. Yep. It's you're right. It's not like a, a an IPO, a prospectus, and and it's not like what you have to do to trade on a, a, an exchange. And, and nor should it be, because otherwise it would be pointless doing the equity crowdfunding. That's right. The only reason I make that point is because one of the things that I constantly hear from the gatekeepers is, oh, look, you know, we, we've got a gatekeeper role. We've got a compliance role. And they do right up until there's a problem. And then they sort of say, oh, that's not part of the gatekeeper's role. But, you know, and, you know, just even looking at the on-market, um, our... Uh, our, and it lists our crowdsource funding gatekeeping responsibilities include undertaking the good fame and character, which means that presumably they're not criminals, um, which again is a fairly low bar. Um, checking the company is eligible to undertake the equity crowdfunding. Again, you know, not checking its investment. Um, uh, but then, you know, and, and once you go through the what I actually set out in the Act, um, and this is set out as the on-market gatekeeper commitment. Um, it then says, we do not undertake commercial, legal, operational due diligence on ECF offer documents in the systemic manner that has become market practice for prospectuses. The reason for this is that we conduct due diligence to that, to conduct due diligence to that extent is a lengthy exercise and would defeat the purpose of having a lower cost method uh, for early stage companies to raise. So, you know, again, it's kind of like, well, we'll point to the things that we have to do, but they're still not that intensive. Remember, we're a financial intermediary. 
So we're, we're the glue between the, the, those looking to raise funds and issue shares and those willing to buy those shares and invest in the company. And we're licensed as well to do that role. We have a, our license in our own obligations and undertakings to the regulators. So there is an interplay between all that. ASIC hasn't, you know, even where there have been what I would regard problems, um, you know, with businesses not meeting their post uh, requirements, ASIC hasn't taken action. Um, ASIC has written, you know, after a number of articles pointing out the problems with businesses, as you said, reporting, ASIC has written to businesses um, providing advice to them. And I wrote to ASIC asking them, you know, what is that advice? They refused to give it to me. I FOI'd, um, I lodged an FOI with ASIC to just to ask what the advice they gave to uh, intermediaries is. They refused to provide it and declined um, to provide, you know, a response to an FOI. So, you know, just how, you know, when you say it's regulated, it sounds like it's a pretty low priority for ASIC to even enforce regulations. And I'm not saying that on market do anything wrong. I'll, I'll tell you a story about ASIC and then and then I'll put it in, in context of... of uh, sure, sure. And thank you for indulging me, I, I have to say. Thank you for indulging me with such good humour. No, it's a good conversation. It's a journey of discovery as well. And I know, I know that you've had questions about it and, and you and I have had chats <laughs> offline already and everything. This is and Christmas for me, so thank you. It's good. Yeah. Now, uh, back in my corporate past, um, I came in as a director for Davnet. Do you remember the name Davnet? It was a, a internet company that uh, yeah, it, it, it grew like mad during the IT bubble, and it was worth $2 billion at one point in time. When I came in there, it had a market cap of about $35 million, and it had lost all its shareholders' money, and it was an absolute mess. And ultimately, we rescued it and, and refined it, and, and it, it became the company that I grew with the, with the executive management team into Australia's largest IT services company. But when we were rescuing it and we were knee-deep in the swamp and everything, we sent a file to ASIC about all the, di the difficulties that the former board and the, and the management had had that needed to be investigated because they lost $2 billion worth of shareholder value. And there were some pretty dodgy things going on in there that, that happened. ASIC did not act on that file. And the reason why is because their hands were full with OneTel and HIH, which were going <laughs> yeah. under at that time. So, uh, you know, a, a $1 million um, equity capital raise really isn't going to trigger too much um, muscle um, from ASIC's no, part. No, but then right. they're also very secretive um, about what they do do. So, you know, and the only point I make about that is I do one of the default positions from every um, intermediary that I've spoken to is, oh, well, we're regulated. But again, you know, a, a regulation is only as good as the enforcement, really. No, that's true. And, you know, certainly we hope that our issuers would be in compliant past our performing our transaction with them as a financial intermediary, which is for them to raise capital. And in fact, ASIC has put obligations on us post-raise as a result of some of the non-compliance. But we are not the regulator. Oh, they have. Because again, please tell me about that because ASIC certainly uh, w hasn't um, published that they've put on. Uh, you know. Yeah, they've, they've simply said, um, you know, it's come to our attention that some, some people raising capital by this method have not complied with their obligations post-raise and we urge you to continue to help remind them of their obligations. <laughs> 
if you look at it a different way as well, the exercise can really focus a founder, an owner, the, the CEO of the business on the business. You know, step outside the business and say, okay, now, now I've got to be accountable to a group of outsiders that have put money into this business. And therefore, I need to be sharp on my strategy. I need to be sharp on my financial skills and my financial reporting. I need to be sharp on my execution of the strategy. I need to be sharp on my deployment of capital. I need to be sharp about, you know, my forecasts and, and where this business is going. So by virtue of, of doing an exercise like this, you can, you can get all those benefits. And, and I would hope that people would, would bear down and, and do it that way. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's often sometimes no different from what you see in a listed market, though, too. I mean, how many dodgy um, entities get <laughs> listings? You know, and- I, I, can I say, sorry, I, I, again, I don't mean, but I 100% agree with you there. And it, it's not coming from a business background. It shocked me a little bit to, um, to, to see what supposedly very sophisticated, you know, formal investing is, is like. But again, I, 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 I'm not sure that it's the best um, resume to say, well, you know, sure, we've got problems, but so, so does everybody else. Oh, but I don't say it in that regard. I say, I mean, that, 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 that's life. You know, if, if everybody was always law abiding and, and did all the right thing, you know, it, it, wouldn't life be grand? But it's not the case. But look, my, my point is, it's this is not an outlier um, because it's new. It, it, it is. It's it's business. But it also undermines the point of saying, well, we're regulated when that regulation is for want of a better term, non-existent, you know, or functionally non-existent. Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't say that. It's not functionally non-existent. I'd, I'd say that it's, it's a matter of resources and priorities, just as it is in, in the exchange market, the exchange-traded market. And, you know, and, and there, are, there are some businesses in there that, that need to have a little bit more ASIC attention and don't get it. And, you know, there, there, there are businesses in there that are, are taking shareholders' money from them um, almost as a business model. So what's the difference between that, between saying that ASIC isn't intervening in this wide range of cases and what my two-word summary, functionally not existent? If ASIC isn't acting... Oh, no, I said they, they do act. They do act, but it, it's a matter of resource and priority. Mm. So if they don't have the resources and it's a low priority... It's, just, it's like, let's say, like a, a booze bus. You know, when I first came to Australia from America... I never, ever drank again and drove because in America, you had to show cause before you could be pulled over. And you, you always think, that I'm, I'm okay, I can drive. Here, you didn't know. You didn't know if you were going to get pulled over or not. So you, you just complied. And I guess that's my point. You know, I'd, I'd like to see the booze bus on the road every now and then. But anyway. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, <yeah>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're around sometimes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, now, just just explain to me the EOI process because again, that's another element that I've sort of scratched my head a, a, about a little bit. You know, what 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 function does that fulfil? Yeah, so the EOI gives a a, a preview of the public offer and uh, raises interest through social media and other platforms, and it's it allows the the business to gauge the strength of its offer. So it can um, determine how much it has a reasonable prospect of raising. And uh, as you know, in, um, at the EOI stage, the offer document is not 
published. So it is just that. It's an expression of interest in, in the, uh, the campaign. It's not a, an offer to subscribe for shares. No, I appreciate that. But again, one of the, and again, this isn't your um, uh, work, uh, but I, I read somewhere that it basically said that, you know, it lets consumers or you know, potential investors decide, you know, whether they want to invest or not um, and, you know, come up with a view of the value. How can that be meaningfully done if they don't have the prospectus? Oh, it can't. No, I agree with you. No, it's an it's an expression of interest in the prospect of investing. It's a it's a an expression of interest in the vision that the uh, issuer is uh, putting out to the market. You know, this this is who we are. This is where we want to go. Uh, these are the exciting times that are ahead of us. Would you like to be part of that journey? That's the expression of interest. Yes, I'm I'm interested to know more. As I said, it it's not the acceptance of an offer. Um, and there's not an offer published in it. And it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's partially a marketing uh, situation. It's partially a getting your pitch, your, your valuation and your pricing and your raise sorted out before you, you put the offer into the market as well. When you say it's marketing, is it fair for me to say, as, as I often do, um, for full cop, that it's designed to create you know, the fear of missing out? That you know, when and often highlight some of the really quick, um, you know, how quickly some offers have closed. It's not at offer stage, so at, during an expression of interest, there is no offer to accept. So I don't know how you could have a situation where you're going to fear you're missing out when you can't subscribe yet. But that's what the fear of, I'm not saying that you miss out, but that's where you build the fear of miss out. If I'm not quick, I could miss out on this. I'd say that's more when you're in the public offer, yeah. The expression of interest gets gets the, the message out about the, the campaign that's about to be undertaken and, and the, the, the brewery. Then that when it goes into public offer, that's when the offer document is published and there's a, an offer to be accepted. And that would probably be more at the time where you would have a fear of missing out because it, there is a, a maximum that, that is uh, part of the whole, whole process. And uh, as, you, as you, not every expression of interest is going to result in a, in a purchase of shares. And so if you get expressions of interest for much more than the maximum, that's a desired result. And it, it shouldn't mean that people are necessarily not going to be able to subscribe, but it's always useful to tell people that that's the situation and then they can decide whether they'll subscribe or not. Why, you know, again, bringing it back to the racehorse analogy, you sort of said, oh, you know, before you invest in a racehorse, you know, you, you, you've, you, you know, are given certain amounts of information and things like that. You know, you, you know the racehorse's parentage, you know, you know, it's prize money, you know, it's previous starts. And so you get a sense for its form. Why isn't the you know some of that information you know for, for something that is an investment um, provided so people can coolly reflect on the prospects of a business? It, it is provided, but it's provided within the offer document during during the public offer period. So um, typically, the offer document isn't published as part of the expression of interest campaign. So the, the information the information is there. It's just a matter of further down the line of the process before you, that information is available. 
The expression, the expression of interest is to drum up interest. It's, it is to publicize the fact that this company is going to be raising funds. So it, it, it gives a longer time threshold for a campaign to be successful by and be exposed to more potential investors. So it's not meant to be a mechanism of saying, this is, this is smoke and mirrors. You know, we're going to razzle-dazzle you over here without giving you any information and then tell you, okay, now you've got to buy the shares here and, and, and do it now. That's, that's not at all what's happening. The expression of interest, as I said, disseminates the information across as broad a base as possible and allows people to come back when the, when the offered document is published and that information is available to make an investment decision. So there's a, a, market, there's a marketing aspect to it, and then there is an investment aspect to it. Would you agree that a little bit of that marketing aspect is designed to, you know, create hype and, and, and you know, the I need to jump on this quick? Well, I, I'd say any marketing um, campaign is only going to be successful if it can create an, an intended outcome or an action. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that uh, that is the underlying rationale be, behind it. Some people may use it that way. Some people may not. But... Uh, um, yeah, no, that, that, it's, it's, it's not a device. It, as I said, it's not smoke and mirrors. It's, it's part of a process. I, I wasn't suggesting smoke and mirrors, but I, I was, you know, I, I, and it's, it's not fair to say it's high pressure tactics either because, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, they, they, I, I, I feel that the, it's not designed to allow uh, sober reflection. <laughs> it's, yeah, oh, the, but, the offer period is usually open for, for uh, you know, four weeks yeah so you know there once there's financial information in the market and so forth there is uh, time to reflect on the decision and and it's an offer you know it, you know you, you can accept it or you can say it's not for me and, and I will point out there is a cooling off period as well you know we, that's which, correct. Again, I would be remiss not to, to, to say that as well so yeah um, yeah the, the the one thing that we really need to talk about, <laughs> sorry, and I, it has been a fun conversation already. Um, hopefully it <laughs> has been for you as well. But I, I am, as listeners know, I like to say, conscious of time. Valuations. Mm. Now, talk to me about valuations and whether breweries selling for, you know, at the valuations that they're valued at, um, is it reasonable and how are those values determined? Look, the, the thing about crowdsource funding is that um, you're raising small amounts from many investors for usually a fairly modest amount of the percentage ownership of the entire company. In fact, of the 35 crowdsource funding deals that have happened in Australia since it became a thing, um, the average shareholding size has been 9% of total ownership and the median has been 7% with a high 31% and a low 20 Two, sorry, the low two percent. So you know you, you're basically selling less than ten percent of your company, and you're doing it in batches of maybe five hundred dollars per shareholder. So at those levels, the price sensitivity is quite low, and and because of that, people will put five hundred dollars in to follow it without necessarily, you know, worrying about their return or their their time threshold to do that. And that's the power of of this uh, funding model. You're accessing the crowd to have, aggregate in small bundles to make a meaningful amount for the business to be able to implement strategy and carry out their capital investment. So um, under those circumstances, you will have a higher valuation because of what you're selling and, and the low price sensitivity. 
And um, again, over that those 35 uh, businesses in the alcohol sector that have raised, um, the average valuation is six and a half times revenue. Now that's high. When when we were aggregating our company in the listed space, you know, we wouldn't pay that much earnings very often, if at all. Um, but again, that's the difference between the time thresholds and uh, the uh, um, impetus of the the uh, owners in a, a traded market, or maybe in a private private equity situation too. Private equity would would have a lower price because they'll have they'll enforce their own agenda on the company, and that's all. all Often to make sure that they get a return on it in their time frames, and a return in their amount. The value of anything is what something somebody's willing to pay for it, isn't it? And it's often a negotiation. So this is just one end of the spectrum. But that, uh, and again, I, I guess that comes to the number of it. You know, the, the value of a share. You know, I can feel that I've got a share of ownership of this business for $500. Yep, sign me up. I get 10% discount and I get to be part of, of it um, is, is one thing. But then saying that because I'm willing to give $500 makes this business worth 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars when there is, and again, I, I make a huge judgment call here, zero chance of any of the businesses getting anything near the valuations um, that they're setting for, for the business so as to secure a meaningful return on that gift. <laughs> you mean that share? <laughs> well, it, it's a share in the business, but it's, you know, it's effectively it's I'm share. gifting you. You're gifting me a share. Uh, knowing that I'll never get a return on my investment is my is probably my core thesis. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you, you finally said the... the the part, the, the unsaid part. Yeah. No, look, it, 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 it's not a gift, but you know, it, it, it is, it, it's a piece of ownership. And if, if the company distributes its earnings, you get some of that. Let's put a big sort of un double underline under that if, and if they sell a big. What's the founder, <laughs> what's, what's the founder going to do? You know, if, if, if the business grows enough that there's surplus cash in the business and there's a, a repatriation of earnings, pay dividends. So you're in line with the same return as the owner's going to get. And I guess that's the big hypothetical because growth is increasingly hard to, hard to come by. But that's, again, we, we, we can't even uh, discuss, discuss that. But one of the things that you've come back to a number of times is the theory of ownership. You know, you are an owner of the business. And yet, you know, a lot of my coverage that I've seen in one of the core complaints is not only are these shares are liquid and I can't get a return on them and, and I, I can't dispose of them, I can't get rid of them, but as an owner, they're not consulted on business decisions, they're not advised of business decisions. Um, a significant number of corporations, to the extent that ASIC has had to step in, haven't reported and haven't reported meaningfully on decisions that were made, even if they report the finances. So how, how you know, if I was told in the EOI phase and even during the sale phase that you are an owner of a business, even if I didn't expect a return, I want to feel like I'm respected and treated like somebody who has a financial stake in the business. And repeatedly, um, that's the criticism that investors just don't get treated 
so there is zero obligation after the fact um, on, on the people who take the money. Their representative in the business is the board of directors who are there to um, have governance and oversight of the management. So no shareholder gets consulted on strategy, um, capital investment, those kinds of things. Um, that's management's job to do that, and the board of the directors to oversight that on behalf of the of the uh, the shareholders. So um, there is an obligation to have an, an annual general meeting, along with the publication of the financial statements in, in the crowdsource funding. And again, that's that's uh, the same in the listed world. As an exercise, because uh, we're we're coming up into reporting period, I'd uh, maybe off mic we might sort of sit down and uh, look at how many of the CSF businesses hold an annual general meeting yeah that would be interesting <laughs> they'd be smart to do it because it's going to be part of uh the synergies that you can get between your ownership group and your consumers as well but uh, anyway it, it would be smart but it would also be meeting minimum compliance which is i guess well my yes issue. it would be you know, smart to comply and, and, and again <laughs> I, I think this is the nub of my you know, I've, I've, I've been very picky. I, I, I note that I've been sort of uh, very nitpicky. But at the end of the day, this is being sold that you are a shareholder in a business. But I'm increasingly hearing disgruntled investors saying, we don't hear anything from it. Um, we, we, we've, we don't hear anything. There's no annual general meeting. If we Even if we raise grievances and complaints. And, you know, again, I don't want to... Put you in the position of having to comment on any specific ones, but we've reported a number where it really, you know, it really looks like businesses have taken the money and run. Um, you know, and sure, you can feel like you're you're a business, but it it's ended up leaving a bad taste in people's mouths. That's unfortunate. Um, you know, it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't. But. Um, I don't know how you, you change that. Well, again, if you have an annual general meeting, you can voice your concerns. And if a, if, if a business isn't reporting and having an annual general meeting, then they're in breach of the regulations under which they raised. That's right. Well, the shareholder should point that out directly to the company. And then if they don't get uh, satisfaction, then they, then they should you know, report to the regulator. Which is why I've been so nitpicky along the way here, because functionally it's not happening. Well, any process is subject to abuse depending on the intent of the players. So maybe intent's too strong a word to use. And, and I don't think it's intent. Yeah, look, I, I'm certainly, and I, I think we're really getting to the brass tacks here because I don't suggest that anyone has gone into this with malintent or or anything you know designed but the end result is something that is a very valuable tool for brewers mm -hmm. isn't meeting the needs of the people that it's raising from and as, as is always the case i don't mean to just be argumentative but i see that as because there will be enough this is being money is being raised from craft beer's greatest most passionate supporters, and when they're left feeling disgruntled about things like this, this impacts the whole industry um, because their passion is gone, and, and and that's my fear. And you know, I'd, when when we are seeing whatever the intent that people went into it, 
some of the promises aren't being delivered on, I don't know. I, I feel powerless, you know, as a as an occasional shareholder, but then also yeah. as an industry observer. Yeah, and I know you've shared that before with me before, and I think that's powerful. You're you're against anything that harms the the craft beer industry, and uh, I am too. But I, I see the crowdsource funding as a, a greater tool for the good to enable um, these young s- small businesses to access capital that they need to actually achieve their strategies, achieve their vision and their dreams. Um, and if they have difficulty in complying with their post-raise obligations, um, communicating with their shareholders um, in accordance with the requirements, if not beyond, um, then that's unfortunate and, and, and it shouldn't happen. And uh, But I have to say that most of the people I've spoken with in terms of doing business with us and everything, their first question to me is always, what's in it for the investors and what's the obligation on me to satisfy my investors? Um, so the people that I'm seeing always have that front and center in their minds. And, and probably the biggest impediment that they have to get over in, in accessing capital in this manner is making sure that they do the right thing by their shareholders so that they don't sustain any kind of collateral damage or brand damage or anything like that. Their, their integrity... Um, their brand, um, their honesty is paramount. And they're always the first discussions I have with the prospects that I've been talking to. So, you know, that's that's um, certainly a much better outcome uh, for people to be thinking along those lines. And, um, you know, again, going back to my, my brewery owner and founder days, that was always a consideration for me too when I thought about doing something like this. Hmm. Yep. And look, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really listening to all of that. And, you know, as I said, you know, I, I can't stress enough that, you know, I, I really hope that breweries that haven't yet um, capital raised that have, you know, that, that need access to capital to actually implement their plans and have a very strong community um, get to do that um, because, it, it does make a, a healthier, more vibrant, um, and viable industry. Um, but my fear is that you know, if if too much of a bad taste is left in everyone's mouths, not only will it hurt crowdfunding, but it'll hurt uh, you know consumers' dis- decision about buying from small little breweries. Because uh, and how? Okay, I'll pose a question. What 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 can we do to you know ensure equity crowdfunding remains viable? Well, I think that uh, perhaps what you're doing is a good service. You've you've had questions about it. You didn't understand aspects about it. You've been skeptical about certain things. Um, and you continue to delve into it and explore. So I think education and understanding is, is a big part of it. And, um, and, and you're leading the way in that. So... Uh, but again, as a... Uh, you know, because I'm, I'm both... You know, a journalist who's covering it, but then I'm also, you know, uh, an investor um, uh, for for want of a better term in, in in a couple of businesses. And in neither of those roles am I often able to get meaningful answers. And uh, when I turn to the regulator, and when I turn to the, uh, and I will say up front that I've never had yeah. uh, cause to contact you other than have uh, really engaging conversations like this. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, and, and I, I find that very frustrating um, and, and I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, like so many things, I think it's communication to foster understanding. Um, 
and uh, communication of expectations. And um, certainly those kinds of things are helpful. Sorry, I'm just writing that down. I think that's a great uh, communication <laughs> to foster understanding is a great uh, is a great phrase. Um, now, I, I, again, uh, we're, we're rolling up to an hour, um, it, it, which is a, which is a little bit longer than most people like to exercise for, which is often how people. Uh, um, but I, I know that you are currently speaking to a number of uh, breweries. Uh, we can't say anything yet, but you know. Clearly, the appetite for crowdfunding hasn't diminished after a couple of, uh, you know, after a very quiet 2023. Um, you know, what is your advice on what breweries should be looking to equity? What sort of breweries should be looking to equity crowdfund? As, as I said before, the, the way that this is the most powerful is for a company that has growth opportunity and needs capital investment to realize those. Um, it makes a more compelling investment uh, proposition. Um, it's a way to achieve goals faster by, by being able to put capital into a business to make investment to, to drive returns. Um, and those are the, the kinds of businesses I'm talking to right now. And um, I think that's an ideal case, again, because it, it, it is a compelling investment proposition as well as... Um, a way for the for the brewery to uh, supercharge its returns and uh, reach its its strategic objectives faster. Excellent. Well, Mark, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to uh, to reading the prospectuses for any of the breweries that you uh, haven't been Excellent. able to tell me about. <laughs> we'll try not to let you down. <laughs> but honestly, like that, I, I I hate feeling like that. But again, it's it's somebody who loves the industry and uh, you know. Uh, wants to support it, uh, both by being an investor in, in businesses that I love and also, uh, you know, reporting on it. So, Mark, I, I can very, very uh, genuinely and sincerely say thank you for uh, uh, <laughs> subjecting yourself to my uh, tirades and my uh, questions and um, my skepticism. No, I appreciate it. No, it's, it's good. It's, uh, it's stimulating to, to speak to people like that. So it's all good. <laughs> and hopefully there's been some communication to uh, foster understanding. There we go. Absolutely. <laughs> and that was Mark Hubbard. You can see, I hope, why I commented on his patience and good humour. I genuinely appreciate Mark for the way that he engaged in the conversation. But judging by the many comments I've received over the last year or two, I'm not alone in my thoughts. But then again, neither is Mark. It would be great to hear your thoughts on this discussion ones that we can play on the podcast via SpeakPipe, and there's a link in the show notes, in the Facebook group, password Saison, or through the ever-popular, please don't quote me on this, but text or email. Now, we'll be back this Friday with Brews News Week, or at least I should say Sabrina and Ian will be. I will be in Saigon at Brewasia, and we'll be back next week. But Sabrina and Ian, and maybe a third, will be diving deeply into the news of the week this Friday. In the meantime... Thanks for joining me.